Welcome to the to the uh, Bible study episode of First Peter. So before we get into the word tonight, uh, let's begin by singing a hymn together. It's hymn one two two nine.
much. Amen. 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 All creation he mused on his delight and pondered every feature of pleasing in his sight. Creation sprang to being, but deep in him did hide a heart of love unfathomed, fixed on a glorious bride. Amen. Amen. Then mercy richly flourished, and love was oh so vast, as graciously he sought her with wisdom unsurpassed. The love he gave to winner, God only comprehends. His life lay down, an offering whose fragrance yet ascends. Amen. 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 The church is Christ everywhere is made with her in view. His heart love is established and not can him better. Before mm. the foundation, his thought is with her. Amen. 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 The church is Christ's deep longing. Amen. And his good pleasure too. Amen. Amen. Is everywhere then action is made with her in view. Amen. Amen. As she beholds her bridegroom, his Amen. glory floods her heart. Amen. Till she bride is raptured, his longed for counterpart. Amen. Amen. Oh, Jesus. And now in resurrection, to her draws most near. Amen. Amen. And with untold affection, in glory does appear. Amen. As she beholds her bridegroom, his glory floods her heart. Amen. He's raptured, amen. He's longed for counterpart, amen. 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 Oh Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I just really appreciate the sequence in this hymn, saints. How how uh, it begins with with a longing deep within God's heart. And uh, even before the, the, the earth's foundation, the Lord's heart, uh, his thoughts, which is part of our heart, right, was just filled with her. He, he considered this bride. And in Peter, we've actually seen this, how even before the foundation, it says you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, even before we were born or we, we existed, God chose us because his thoughts were filled with, with us, with the church. And then he and then he created to so that he, you know, so that this plan of his, this heart's desire could 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 actually be fulfilled. But then what happened is sin came in. Okay, and then sin caused us to fall and we became helpless. We were just in a helpless and pitiful situation. But even this could not deter the Lord. 
So his love was so vast. He came to seek us. Praise the Lord. He came to seek us in time. Almost like that spirit in verse, uh, the spirit in verse two. Um, in the sanctification of the spirit. We saw that that was even before we got saved, right? He came. So he graciously sought this, this dear, this dear bride of his. And to gain her, he laid down his life. And even today, this fragrance of the Lord's death is such a sweet fragrance to the Father. It's still ascending. But not only did the Lord die for us, but then in resurrection, hallelujah, he draws most near. Because now, he is the life-giving spirit. Brothers and sisters, he can get inside of us. The Lord is not just our bridegroom whom we're waiting for one day, but he is with us so near. To her, he draws most near with untold affection. Even we can't, we can't express this, this intimacy, this affection that we have with the Lord now. And so what do we need to do? Oh, we need to behold our bridegroom. That's what the Bible tells us to do, right? Look away from yourself. Look away from your this uh, state that you might be in. Look to your dear, beloved bridegroom. And eventually this will cause us to become ready, to be raptured, to be with our bridegroom. Hallelujah. To be the bride for our bridegroom. Okay. I think let's sing this hymn again, Etienne, and then we can uh, enjoy the, the riches of all that the Lord has done to reach us. Praise the Lord.
Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Amen. thank you, Lord. The love he gave to win her, God mm -hmm. only comprehends. Mm -hmm. His life lay down, an offering whose fragrance Amen. yet ascends. Amen. 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 As she beholds her bridegroom, his glory floods her heart, till she, his bride, is raptured, his love for counterpart. Amen. 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 And now in resurrection. Amen. Now in resurrection, to her he draws most near, and with unborn affection. In Amen. glory, us are here. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Um, saints, uh, let's let's get into the word. Um, so today we're going to read the first 13 verses. Oh, they're on the screen. 13 verses of chapter 3. So Brother 18 will break us up into groups. Um, if we finish before time, uh, wherever we touch something of life, a verse that was uh, that sprang up waters, we just can use that to pray, to open our being. You know, we we don't want to just uh, study the word. We'd like to, like newborn babes, get the nourishment in the word. So we want to have our being open. So tonight we're going to continue our covering um, this section and we'll conclude this section uh, that started in chapter 2, verse 11. So uh, this is related to the Christian life and then its sufferings. Okay, so we'll get into the sufferings <laughs> next week. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But we have a Christian life, okay, and, and praise the Lord. There are some aspects of the Christian life. And point A, this is the life, a life in an excellent manner toward all men in all concerns. So Peter is showing us what is this excellent life? What is this life that we have received from God our Father? So we have been regenerated by God. We have been chosen by him. We have been saved by the blood of the Son, and now we have his life. So that life within us has a certain expression. It wants to be expressed. And this expression is this excellent manner of life. So Peter touches various aspects of this excellent manner of life. And tonight specifically, we'll look at uh, the first part is the marriage life and then in common life. But before we get there, just want to share a little something about what um, we covered last week from verse 18 to 25. And there were five, five things mentioned here. Uh, the first one is that uh, there's this grace that we are partaking of. We have the model of Christ. We have him as our savior. We have him as our shepherd and our overseer. So related to these things, I just want to share a little something related to verse 24 about the Lord um, being our Savior. So verse 24 says, who himself 
bore up our sins in his body on the tree in order that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness by whose bruise you were healed. So, dear saints, um, this matter of the Lord coming to, uh, to free us, to save us, okay? He bore up our sins in his body. So the Lord, when he went to the cross, he didn't just go there and then um, left us behind. Actually, he took all our sins upon him. He even took you and me upon him. Okay, he also took the devil with, praise the Lord. He took every negative thing in this entire universe. That hymn that we sang spoke about how sin mocked our, our hopeless state, right? It, 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 it kind of uh, was reveling in the, in the condition of this man into whom sin was injected. And now man has no power over the sin, but Christ took our sins upon him, says, bore up our sins in his body on the tree. That is on the cross, right? So in crucifixion, the Lord took all our sins with him. And then he says, having died to sins. Now that having died to sins has the same meaning as being separated from our sins. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever struggled with this matter of sin. <laughs> when I read Romans chapter 7, and some commentaries, even, even um, uh, Brother Lee, he would say, and, and many others would say that Romans 7 was Paul's experience before his conversion. So Paul experienced this kind of hopeless state that we sang about, right? This, this kind of a condition where he just, the good that he wanted to do, that he didn't do. But the evil that he didn't want to do, this he practices. Then he finds himself, there's another, there's something else dwelling within his members, working the sin out in his life. Okay, he's just in this hopeless condition, this hopeless state. And I never understood why people said that that was Paul's experience before his salvation. Because oftentimes, that's my experience after salvation. Sorry, saints, I'm still struggling with a bit of a cold, so I, I realize my voice isn't so clear tonight. But, but anyway, Paul, why is it that he struggled with that matter before his salvation? And so then I was just helped to realize that actually what we see in Galatians chapter 5 is not the same thing. Okay, so in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us the following. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you shall by no means fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these oppose each other, that you would not do the things that you desire. Okay, this is the Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I'll just read verse 16 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and what then? And you shall by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. So why is this different from Romans 7? Well, what's happening in Romans 7 is the natural man, the old man, he 
has this law of good within his mind. He has a law of good within his mind. His mind desires to do good. He has this intention to do good. He has a desire to do good. But he cannot work it out. That desire to do good, brothers and sisters, is in every human being. Romans 7 is not referring to a Christian's experience. Actually, that should not be a Christian's experience. That is just the experience of man. Okay, Every human being on this earth wakes up every morning having the desire to do good. No person wakes up and then he thinks, I'm evil, I'm going to be today. I'm going to try and be nasty to my work colleagues. Okay, sometimes these things happen. Okay, but there's another law operating within our flesh, right? That is just the experience of man. It is not an experience that should be typical to a Christian. It is just the experience of the old man. So, actually in Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us, verse 2, For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while she is living, while he is living. But if the husband dies, she is discharged from the law regarding the husband. Who's that husband? Okay, we're the, we're the married woman. Who's the husband? The husband is not the law. Like many of us might think, the husband is also not sin. The husband is the old man. The old man is related to the law. The law was given to the old man. What for? In Galatians 4, it tells us it's a child conductor. Maybe it's in chapter 3. Anyway, the law is a child conductor unto Christ. It's in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us that the law is a child conductor unto Christ. Okay? It's conducting the old man. Okay? Now, Peter, he has this revelation. He says, Christ bore our sins on the tree in order that we, having died to sins. Wow. You know what separates a person from sin? The worst sinner in the world, the worst sinner in the world, as soon as he dies, it's over. No more sin. Sin has no more power over that person. When that person dies, sin has nothing on him. Okay? Wow. Peter says, we have died to sins. This is the same thing that Paul is saying. This is why, this is the, that, that word for having died is separated, right? There's been a separating line between us and sin. That is the death of Christ. In Galatians, oh, sorry, in Romans 6, we have this word, knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be annulled, that we should no longer serve sin as slaves. You see, the problem is, as soon as something comes in our being, our flesh, right? This sinful flesh, this kind of, anyway, if you study Romans 7, you realize it's a person, okay? This person dwelling within us, Satan, okay? <laughs> when, we, when man fell in the Garden of Eden, he didn't just make a little mistake. Something was injected into him. Another life came into him. That life is called sin. That sinful life is causing us to do sins. We don't, we don't sin because we make little mistakes. It's because we have that life within us that just causes us to live that kind of life and express that sinful life that's within us. 
It's very spontaneous. It's within our flesh. And so now our mind is trying to war against this and it doesn't want to do the wrong, but it can't help itself. Sometimes maybe the, the good in our mind doesn't do, doesn't follow the flesh. It overcomes it a little bit. But actually, you know what, brothers and sisters, when you are in that state, may the Lord open our eyes to see that is the wrong realm. Your old man has been crucified. Okay? That's what you need to see. So actually, our problem is that we find our, our being in our natural man, in the old man. But actually, brothers and sisters, we need to realize and recognize that actually our old man has been crucified. He has been terminated. Don't try and overcome sin in the old man by the law of good in your mind. Just be in your spirit. In Romans, in Galatians 5, walk by the spirit and what? And you shall by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Peter goes on to say, having died to sins, might live. Might live to righteousness. As soon as I hear I need to live righteously, I just get so discouraged. I'm just like, oh, Lord, I, I'm not a righteous person. I'm not right with any other person. I'm not right with God. I'm not right with man. I'm not right with myself. I do all the wrong things all the time. How can I, how can I live to righteousness? And actually, previous, uh, just prior to that, we see that the Lord committed all to him. Not just all to him who's faithful. Not just all to him who's gracious. But all to him who judges righteously. God is a righteous judge. So how can we possibly live this kind of righteousness? In the old man, you know what? Our inclination is towards sin. Not righteousness, but through the crucifixion of Christ, not only were we separated from sin, and not only was our old man crucified, and not only do we not, don't we have we nothing to do with the law any longer, but also we have received another life. He created the new man in himself on the cross. And so now in resurrection, brothers and sisters, we have the divine life. Peter even tells us that we have become partakers of the divine nature. There is now another life that's operating within us. We are no longer, we no longer have to serve sin as slaves. We've died to sin. So what our being needs to find itself in, as soon as we realize there's something in my flesh, well, we all have it, I have it, you have it, every human being on this earth has it. As soon as we recognize there's sin in my flesh and this sin is trying to, 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 to rise up, we just, we just recognize, Lord, I cannot overcome this by the good man, it, by the, the, the law of good in my mind. There's no way. Sometimes I do, maybe. But if I do, if I don't, it doesn't matter. I need to get out of that realm and I need to get into my spirit. So how do we get into our spirit, brothers and sisters? We need to be those who Peter tells us uh, in 
chapter 2. He tells us we are newborn babes. Verse 2. We need to long for the guileless milk of the word. Right, that, that really is a big help to me. Okay, let me, I just want to uh, quickly go on here. So I don't want to speak about this too much, but I was just so helped to see this. I hope all of us can receive some help from this word that Peter, that Peter shows us. We have died to sin and we have been made alive that we might live to righteousness. So we have received a life now that is inclined to do righteousness. You know what? When you are in your spirit and you, and you, and you live by this life that has been regenerated into your human spirit, you know what? You do not need to strive or strain. You don't need to. It takes no effort. That's why Paul says, walk by the spirit and you shall by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's impossible. That life cannot do it because it's the divine life. Every life has an expression. I was with, um, with the trainees uh, not so long ago, and we were fellowshipping about the triune God and, and the Lord's expression on the earth and how he came, and he only did the will of the Father. He never sought his own will. He never did his own thing. He only spoke what the Father spoke. He only spoke what the Father revealed to him. He never did his own thing. So how... So now the question is, was it possible for the Lord to speak his own words, to do his own things? Well, I don't know if it was possible for the Lord to sin or not sin. I'm not going to talk about that. But what I can tell you is that he had, he never had the sinful life. So he couldn't express that life, could he? What life could he express? So what happens when we partake of that life and we live by that life? What are we going to express? We might live to righteousness. Spontaneously, you are going to live out the life that you have received. God is righteousness. That's just his very being. That's who he is. God is not trying to do the right thing all the time. That's who he is. He cannot do anything else. So if you have become a partaker of that life and you live by that life, what are you going to express? It's so spontaneous. So when we live that life, even the next portion, the next part of it, verse 24 says, by whose bruise you were healed. Often we like to quote this verse to speak about our physical healing that needs to take place within us. Right, Lord, I have this ailment, I have that ailment. Praise you, I've been healed from this. But you know what's the first thing that Lord heals us of? Is our death. Death is the greatest enemy. I mean, when someone is, when someone to, to, to end his life, he dies, right? That's the greatest enemy of man. And no one is able to overcome that. But Christ, has given to us the eternal life. So his bruising, when that grain of wheat fell into the ground and died, that life was released. And now that life can get imparted into so many of us. So the main thing that this bruising is doing, it's, it's healing us of our death. 
Okay, I wish I could share something with you about the Lord being our shepherd. Praise the Lord. He is the shepherd of our soul. Peter, he's not writing too much about, well, anyway, maybe there's some doctrinal thoughts here. But, but you know what? He's just writing from his experience. You can get into the doctrine of what he's writing. But when you really, if you really want to see what Peter is speaking about, we have to consider the experience that he had. He had the experience of Christ shepherding and overseeing him. And in what part of our being do we need shepherding and overseeing? Isn't it our soul? Yes, maybe outwardly things happen to us, you know, our bodies. But that affects our soul. It affects what we think about. Consider your experience. You with some brothers, someone says something, your mind just begins to wander, just begins to dwell on these things. Something was spoken that you didn't agree with. And your mind just goes on this rabbit trail or this, 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 it's just going down this route and you just can't stop it, right? Isn't that our experience? And our emotion then gets all worked up about this. And then our will gets affected by it. So the Lord, he begins to shepherd us by directing our mind. For that, we really need the word, right? We need our, to dwell on this milk of the word to direct our mind. So he shepherds us by giving us the word. Then he comes and comforts our soul, our, our, our emotions. And then eventually even, even instructs, or, or sorry, he leads and guides our will. The children of Israel had to be led and guided into the good land. Maybe if you want to go from Joburg to Cape Town, you need a, a roadmap. And so that's like leading you. But then once you get to Cape Town, you need a guide to go show you all the attractions, all the different things. Like you need the details. Okay, so the Lord, he leads the good, the, the children of Israel into the good land, to Jerusalem. And then he guides them to Mount Zion. Isn't this also your experience? The Lord leads us to the church. And then eventually he guides us to be built up with some. He, we need to be related to others. That's wonderful. Being in the church, being with the saints on the ground of oneness, enjoying the Lord, enjoying his presence. But then we need to be built up and related to others. Some need to get to know us. We need to get, need to, get to know others. They need to know our situation. We need to pray for one another. We need to have a vital living. Eventually, we need to be on Mount Zion. Okay, praise the Lord. If we have such a living, then we can have a proper marriage life because we have this life. So now Peter goes on to say, in like manner, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This in like manner is referring to his uh, word in verse 18 of chapter 2, to the servants being subject. So wives, you need to be subject to your own husbands. This is very contrary to what the word is, the world is speaking today. Women need to be liberated, feminist movements. No one agrees with this, right? But dear brothers, and especially dear sisters, we need to take heed to this word. This is the word of God, and this safeguards us and protects us. Wives. Be subject to your own husbands. As a wife, my wife can tell you many things about me <laughs> that you will never know because you don't live with me. So Peter knows 
why sometimes it's easier to be subject to, to others because you don't see their imperfections, you don't see their shortcomings, but actually you need to be subject to your own husbands. Oh, may we find the grace. In verse 7, he tells us, he has a word to the husbands, okay? But, but the husbands and the wives, you know what? We have become fellow heirs of the grace of life. Fellow heirs of the grace of life. Peter speaks a lot about the grace. He speaks about the multiplied grace in, uh, I think, chapter 1, and then eventually about varied grace, all kinds of grace. But here he speaks about the grace of life. Oh, dear, brothers and sisters, we need the grace of life. Sisters, you need grace to subject, be subject to your own husbands. Praise the Lord. Our old man has been crucified, and we have become partakers of the grace of life. Not just grace of uh, grace of uh, uh, I don't know being saved, right? Grace of salvation. Okay, you probably don't even need to read your Bible to come up with that phrase, but grace of life. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord, for Peter's writing, showing us these things. We have become partakers of grace of life. So wives, you have the grace of life to be subject to your own husbands. And then what will happen? Uh, that even if they disobey, they will be gained through the word, uh, without the word, through the manner of life of their wives. So it's through your inspiring life. I've heard this actually many times. I've heard many brothers testify about how they got saved through the manner of their wives living, not their speaking. Sisters, not through your preaching to your husband, but through your life, through the manner of your life. Seeing with their own eyes your pure manner of life in fear. So that pure is also holy or chaste. It's and and in fear is kind of like a a, a holy um, reverence. Okay, it's not a it's not an outward fear that anybody needs to put upon you. There's just some reverence within you. There's just some some feeling within you. I am under God's government. Saints, the Lord, like he says here, when we read chapter 2, he, he committed all to him who judges righteously. Oh, Lord Jesus, we can live in this holy fear, sisters. Verse 3, let your adorning not be the outward plating of hair and putting on of gold or clothing with garments. So in, when Peter was writing this, the maybe the wealthy or the, the kind of the more successful Romans would spend a lot of time. The Lord gave the women a hair as her glory. Right? There's other verses that speak about this. I think you can, you can reference it here in 1 Corinthians 11, 15, and even in Song of Songs, there's a few verses. Showing us that this is what the Lord gave us this. The Lord gave women hair for their glory. 
but then it gets misused and twisted by the enemy and by society, right? And then eventually what happens? There's an outward, there's an outward show of something. What for? So that man could indulge in their lust. Not for, not for God's purpose. Okay? But how should we live? But the hidden man of the heart, okay? Let not your adorning be the outward, but let your adorning be the hidden man of the heart. Okay, let me just quickly say something also to all of us. Brothers and sisters, oh, may the Lord have mercy on us that we would see that this also is not a matter of outward correction. We cannot go to one another and say, sister, why are you dressing like this? Why is your hair like this? Actually, just let them come to the meetings. Just let them be where there's something of life being ministered to them. You know what will happen? Slowly, slowly, all those things just begin to drop away. Not because anybody tells them. Not because <laughs> there's an outward. Now we're changing from the one outward to another outward. Okay, we don't want outward adorning, so now we're taking away the adorning. And No, 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 no. We're just ministering an inner life to people. We're ministering this Lord as life to others. You know what, brothers and sisters, actually, we need all kinds of people in the church life. We need, we need all kinds of different people. We shouldn't look at people and discern too much. Ah, oh, this one is not so good. This one, she's not so good. Look at the way they dress. Look at the things they're into. Don't worry. They need to drink of the spirit. Okay. This verse, I forgot to tell you. But this verse in 24, chapter 224. You know how this is realized by us, by the spirit. Okay. The cross today is in the spirit. The life today is in the spirit. If you can get someone to touch the life within their spirit, get regenerated and touch that life, oh, there will be, and, the, and there will be something of a different adorning taking place. Here, Peter even says this, but the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible adornment of, of a meek and quiet spirit. Oh, I need to finish. What is the hidden man of the heart? The hidden man of the heart is the meek and quiet spirit. Okay, he's saying, look, your heart has mind, emotion, will, the parts of your soul, and the conscience, which is the main part of your spirit. So it's hidden within you. It's, it's, it's there, but it's kind of surrounded by your soul. Often our spirit is maybe a little bit, <laughs> my husband says this, I say that. <laughs> My wife says this, I say that, okay? We're often going the opposite way, not meek and quiet. There's something within us, and there's something within us coming out. Actually, if you want to know what's really within someone, they need to lose their anger. When someone really loses their anger, what's really deep within the hidden man comes out, okay? When they lose all that kind of reservation to keep it closed. But Peter tells us, no, no, no. The hidden man of the heart 
You know what's really that's that's really precious to the Lord is a meek and quiet spirit. He says, which is very costly in the sight of God. All the gold, the plating of hair, the clothing, the garments, all these things. What, what, what is it before God? Consider a little bit, brothers and sisters. Sisters, what are those things before the Lord? Do they, will they, we're not going to take it into, into the new Jerusalem with us, are we? We're becoming the gold, okay? There's something, the hidden man of the heart, that is very costly in the sight of God. And then in verse 5 and 6, he says, For in this manner formerly the holy women also, who hoped in God, adorned themselves, being subject to their own husbands. How did they adorn themselves? In subjection to their own husbands. Okay. Even Paul, when he talks about husbands and wives in Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5, the very, very, very popular portion of scripture that gets read at many weddings. Not so many read this. Wives be subject to your husbands. There's a hidden man in your heart. And there's the grace of life by which you can live such a life. Okay. Praise the Lord. Peter has this word. As Sarah obeyed Abraham in verse 6, calling him Lord, whose children you have become if you do good and do not fear any terror. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. This does not mean that, brothers, we need to lord it over the sisters. No, no, no. We need to dwell with them as a weaker vessel. But, sisters, even in regeneration, the Lord's order from, from the beginning, when he created man, male and female, that order doesn't fall away. In the old creation, we are still living, we are still living a human life. And actually, the world is trying to undermine what God ordained to happen. And the world is trying to show us a picture that is altogether twisted and warped so that we won't know what it is to be the bride of Christ. How will the bride make herself ready? There's no picture. There's no, we have to, Francis, this is not a small matter that Peter is addressing here. May we take heed to this word so that we can live a proper marriage life. Okay, brother Hector will carry on. He will go on with this matter of the husbands in verse 7. Amen. Hallelujah. It's very, very touching to see Peter's fellowship on the one hand, uh, we need to live a certain way. We need to conduct our Christian life before different kinds of people. Um, some are, 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 are authorities. Uh, some are those who are very close to us. And there's also in general. But this one, 
um, which is quite touching to me, is the marriage life. I know verse one, many brothers would say, amen. There would be a resounding amen when we read verse one, because uh, we might think um, this is for our benefit or the brother's benefit. Um, even people of the world might object to this verse saying, wives be subject to your own husbands. This sounds like oppression, you know, uh, 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 suppressing others' rights. But actually, Peter is bringing us to God's government. Um, I appreciate this word that on the one hand, Peter speaks to the sisters and he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Uh, he doesn't say be subdued or be by, by way of terror, but the wives are taking the initiative, not because of anything, but it's because they recognize God's government. I appreciate what Brother Adrian mentioned that in the universe, God has an order. Uh, you, can look, you can look it up in 1 Corinthians 11, but it's very clear. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. There's an order in the universe. These dear sisters, being subject to their own husband, it is to live under God's government. I, I really appreciate Peter. Apparently, Peter's giving uh, relationship advice. Apparently, he's giving marriage counseling. But Peter is bringing us to God's government. The fundamental problem in the universe is rebellion against God. Satan rebelled. You might think this word, Peter, uh, he's, he's pointing something small. However, Peter is uprooting life from within our being. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And, and I, I say this not because I'm a brother. There's, there's another verse for the brothers. Uh, but I would like us to have this realization that Peter here, he's not trying to just help the brothers and sisters. However, he is bringing them into God's government. He's restoring them bringing them out of rebellion. You know, whenever we exchange words in a household, husband and a wife, there's no subjection. Actually, the root beneath this kind of a arguing between husbands and wives, it's because of rebellion. And this is what Peter points us to. Actually, Peter is helping us to live under God's government. That, that, is, that is what the, uh, Peter's burden is. And he shows us how, what God values. God doesn't care about the uh, outward plating, the cosmos, the cosmetics, the outward uh, um, uh, adorning. But God cares about the constitution, the inward the, 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 the constitution of 
what are we constituted with? How, what, what is the state of the hidden man of our heart? This is what Peter is bringing us to. You know, he, he, he's, he's burdened for us to take care of the things relating to God's goal. In God's government, he has given these wives husbands. And he has also given the husbands certain wives. And Peter is bringing, he's showing us how to live under God's government in this kind of a, a marriage union. He shows us that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I have to confess, I looked again and again in Genesis. Where does Sarah um, call Abraham Lord? Um, Actually, the, the time where a, uh, Sarah calls Abraham Lord was when the Lord came to visit them and said, this time next year, Sarah will have a child. And Sarah overheard that. And she was thinking within herself. This, and when she was thinking in, within herself, Sarah said, how will I have a child? And my Lord is also old. How can, we, how can we have a child? That is the point. That is the only time where Sarah refers to Abraham as Lord. The point here is, on the one hand, this word shows us that Sarah honored Abraham, calling him Lord. However, this word does not give the husbands a right, like Brother Adrian said, to lord it over the wives. We, Abraham never came to Sarah and said, you should call me Lord. No, 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 no. Sarah, however, had this view that Abraham is her Lord. I, I hope this, this uh, is, is, is clearer, that we should not, the brothers should not assume that from now on, I, I will walk around like a big boss. You know, some, some brothers, some men uh, feel self-important. Um, as a result, they may misuse this word. However, Peter is very balanced. Actually, the, the Bible is very balanced. On the one hand, there was a word to the wives. In verse 7, there's a word to the husbands. I hope you have your Bible with you um, because uh, it's quite important. Um, I'm going to read verse seven and pay attention to some. I'm going to highlight some important things. Verse seven, husbands in like manner dwell together with them according to knowledge as with the weaker female vessel, assigning honor to them as also to fellow heirs of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, you might notice when Peter began to speak to the sisters, he says, in like manner. What kind of manner? Peter is saying, in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. In what way, when he says the same way? Well, in the same way that the slaves were subject to their masters, the wives also 
need to be subject to their husbands. But then in verse 7, he says, husbands in like manner, in the same way. Ah, in what way is Peter saying this? Actually, it's very, very difficult to say, but it's, it's actually from experience, you can tell that here Peter is not only instructing the wives to be subject to their husbands, but the husbands should also be subject to their wives in like manner, in the same way. Peter here actually is not just telling the sisters. The, 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 the subjection is not only from the sister's side, but also from the brother's side. Actually, it seems we're contradicting, right? Who, who should be subject to who? Should the wives be subject to the husbands or the husbands to the wives? Actually, you will see that the Bible is very, very balanced. This word is also contained in Ephesians 5, where Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. It seems Paul doesn't say the husbands should be subject. But if you go back to verse 21, Paul says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So you see, actually, God's way God's government is always proper, is always proper. You know, uh, it, it might seem here in verse one, husbands, you know, are receiving the subjection, the wives are being subject, and maybe the brothers are excited. Yes, praise the Lord. Maybe they, they may use this word in, an, in, a, in a disagreement. Uh, and maybe the sisters might take verse seven also as, a, as an agreement. But actually, we need to see this, saints, that God has given us the marriage life in order to help us to live under his government. We need to have this realization. It is God's government that the husband, the wife, be subject to her husband. And according to this part, uh, and in Ephesians, the, the husband also needs to subject. Actually, we will see here, um, Peter, he, he says something which points to the matter of the husbands also needing to, to, to be subject to their wives. The point here is Peter is uprooting rebellion. He is, uh, he is like a surgeon. He's like a surgeon. You know, the, 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 he's uprooting this rebellion in our being, rebellion against God's government. So he touches this matter using the marriage life. And uh, husbands in like manner dwell with them, dwell together with them according to knowledge. Um, Peter here says the husbands need to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. The knowledge here is not knowledge uh, 
we acquire by actually need spiritual knowledge. We need spiritual knowledge. The spiritual knowledge we need is to realize that God has created the female vessel in a very specific way. For the marriage life, God created the female vessel to be weaker. This is the the husbands need to have. Dwell together with them according to knowledge, as with the female, weaker female vessel. You know, if the marriage life, remember, God's goal is to have a marriage life at the end of the Bible. And to carry out this goal, he uses the human marriage life. In order for a human marriage life to work, God could not make two vessels that are equally strong. One is weaker, weaker. I'd like to emphasize that word. It doesn't say one is strong, one is weak. Both are weak, but one is weaker. I, I hope we, we would have this realization. If we are going to live the marriage life under God's government, the husbands need to have a realization and knowledge concerning the wives. They are a weaker female vessel. And God created this for the sake of the marriage life. I, I hope we would have this realization. If we live in this way, realizing God's government, this was God's government, that the female vessel would be weaker. And the husbands have this realization. Uh, later on, we're going to get to this. We're going to be, the husband and the wife will become fellow heirs, joint heirs of life. I, I hope if we don't have this realization, um, the, 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 the wives are not subjecting, the husbands are not dwelling with the wives according to this kind of a realization, this knowledge of God's creation, it, it is impossible for the marriage life to have the grace of life. There, there will be an exchange of words, a contention. Essentially, our marriage life will not be useful in God's economy. Um, okay. Um, dwell together with them as with a weaker female vessel. And Peter doesn't stop there. He says we need to assign honor. We need to, the brothers need to assign honor. The word honor means, um, uh, uh, um, it, it, uh, it means something uh, precious or uh, like assigning a value. Um, it's actually the word in uh, timo in, in Greek. It means uh, timo for, for Timothy. It means we need to assign honor. The brothers need to assign honor. And I would like to say, if we're going to assign honor to someone, you need to subject yourself to them. It is impossible 
to honor someone without subjecting yourself to them. So when Peter says assigning honor actually shows that the subjection is not only from the sister's side, but also from the brother's side. The whole point here is Peter would like to bring us to live under God's government. I, I hope we're, 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 we're touching this matter. The word assign uh, here in, in verse 7 means to apportion. It, it means to distribute. It's almost like dispense, dispense honor. You know, marriage life is like a, uh, a big company with many people who are contributing. And when the company makes a profit at the end of the year, there's an assignment of the profits. Well, Peter here says, in the marriage life, the husband and the wife are like a corporation, like a company. And a certain amount of honor is received. Not all the honor goes to the husband, but a certain amount needs to be assigned to the sister. Do you see this? Maybe the brothers might, might not, uh, maybe the brothers may have said, hallelujah in verse one. In verse seven, the sisters are saying, hallelujah. Do you see the balance? The Bible is very balanced, very balanced. The, I, the, the main point here, I, I would like us to see beyond the surface. Peter is not giving marriage counseling, marriage advice. Peter's burden is to bring us into God's government. Peter is not here for one move for this kind of group or that kind of group. Peter is bringing us, dear saints, we're in God's move on the earth. The entire earth had neglected God's government, had rejected God's government. God needs a group of people who would put themselves under his government. And through these ones, God could restore. It's, it's like um, using the words of Ephesians 5, we're being headed up in Christ. Isn't this amazing? I used to think Peter is a very lowly, poor brother. He's not as knowledgeable. But dear saints, Peter is very deep, very deep. He is bringing us back to being headed up. The sisters are not just living in subjection for the sake of, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, not to have fights in the family. No, they are living in subjection. It says here, uh, in verse uh, two, they have a pure manner of life in fear, not because their husbands are threatening them, but they are honoring, realizing God's government. The sisters live this way. In verse seven, the brothers are also living this way. They recognize my wife. She's not just my wife. This one she is a sister. And um, Peter says, she is a fellow heir, uh, a joint heir of the grace of life. The grace of life. Oh, dear saints, 
did you have this realization that your spouse is a fellow heir of the grace of life? Have we this realization? If we have this view, it would not be so easy to, you know, to, to, to exchange words. It would not be so easy. This one, I am, I am inheriting life with this one. In other words, by myself, I had a certain amount of life, but God in his government has put me together with this one. Now he brings his portion of the grace of life. Peter here is literally showing us that the husband and the wife are to inherit grace together. They are to help one another to enjoy the grace of life. I, 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 we, we don't have time, but um, in, in Leviticus chapter 25, God mentioned something very, very small, which I never regarded. He says, uh, concerning the children of Israel when they lived in a good land, he says to them, if your brother becomes poor and he sells himself to you, you shall not buy him as a slave, but you shall buy him as a servant. And he shall be with you until the Jubilee. In other words, just because the one is weaker, it doesn't mean they should be our slave. I, I hope you're with me. Just because the female vessel is weaker, it doesn't mean we should be Lord. No, no, no. Actually, there in Leviticus 25, the Lord says, he shall be with you as a servant. Do you know what was the daily activity in the good land? It was to labor, to bring the produce. Now, this one who had become poor and weak, God said, don't send him to Egypt. Don't buy him as a slave. He's going to help you work on the land. So apparently, um, this one is buying a, a, a servant, but he's obtaining someone to help him enjoy the riches of the good land. I, I use this as a picture to show us that the husband and the wife are actually God's government to help the husband and the wife to inherit, to receive the grace of life. The husband needs to honor the, the wife. And the wife needs to subject herself to her husband. And in this way, the outcome is receiving grace, 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 and more grace. This is God's government. I, I hope we would have, I'm really, really impressed by this. I'm really, really touched by this, that this is God's government. Okay, I think uh, what was in my heart, um, uh, of discharge, uh, we can continue with verse eight. And finally, be all of the same mind, sympathetic, loving the brothers, tender-hearted, humble-minded. This is again uh, uh, 
Peter's fellowship concerning our living, the Christian life, even in the common things, in the common life. So we are simple, uh, same of mind, sympathetic, loving one another, excuse me, tenderhearted and humble-minded. And it says, verse 9, not rendering evil for evil. I would like to mention in verse 9 that the Christian life one plus one, one plus one is not equals to two. In other words, if someone reviles me, uh, the, the people of the world, if you do A, I also have to do A too. If you do B, I also have to do B. But Peter says, not rendering evil for evil. Reviling for reviling. That's not the Christian life under God's government. But rather... We are those who are blessing. We are those who are blessing. What, when we're reviled, you know what we become? We become the same as Christ. He was, he was mistreated, but he never, he never judged. He committed to the one who judges righteously. So in the Christian life, we should never look for fairness. We should never look they did A to me, so I need to do A to them. No. Actually, the Christian life is, they did A, we bless. But all of this comes out of the grace of life. I would like to emphasize that. When we live under God's government, we, we receive the grace of life, and we can live this way. Okay, verse 10, for he who desires to love life and see good days, let him cause his tongue to cease from evil and his lips to speak no guile. This is a quote from Psalms. If we desire to love life and to see good days, these are the days of good things. Actually, Peter says, if we want to live this way, while we're, we're in exile, we're in a scattered situation, uh, Peter says, if you want to see good days, the day of good things, uh, we need to be careful with what our tongue uh, sees, all, all kinds of uh, 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 evil. Uh, in, 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 in Ephesians, Paul says, our tongue should be like... Um, our, wor our words should be like words of grace, words of grace, seasoned with salt, but they're full of grace. Um, okay, um, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Uh, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears inclined to, the, to their petition. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who will harm you if you become zealous for what is good? Peter here shows us that we need to be those who are zealous for what is good. Who's going to harm you? Who will harm you if you are zealous for what is good? This is a Christian life under God's government.